You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to begin in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, doing a series called Kings and Priests. I plan to just do two parts, but actually have a few things on my heart over the next couple of weeks that I believe uh, will be very impactful, especially related to uh, seeing generations uh, come to Jesus, seeing the investment we make uh, impact future generations. And, and this is really, we live in a time where there's, there's a war for the hearts and minds of people. Uh, there's a war for the hearts and minds, uh, most of all, of the next generation. I want to speak into that towards the end of this series. But uh, we're we're going to go to the next part today. If you missed last week, we talked about how God has made his kings and priests, and it comes from this passage. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, to him who loved us. Aren't you glad that you're loved by God? Come on, aren't you glad that he loved you? And he didn't just say it. He didn't just, uh, you know, we, we think sometimes love is based on a feeling, uh, but love is a decision, is a demonstration, and love was demonstrated most perfectly of all through what God did in sending his own son to die on the cross, to take our sin and shame. There's one problem every person alive has had throughout all of human history. It's the problem of sin, separation from God. Uh, but God had an answer. He had a solution in sending Jesus, and uh, I'm glad for that. As Leslie said, that's such a powerful word because we never run out of reasons to worship. We never run out of reasons to say thank you to God, to praise because of what Jesus has done. He's the greatest miracle we've ever received. And to him who loved us and washed us with his own blood, he was both the offerer, the high priest to God, but he was also the offering. He was the lamb of God that was offered for our sins. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God. As we looked at last week, he saved you and I from something, but he saved us for something. He saved us from our sin. He saved us from death, from hell, from the grave, from its power over our lives, but he saved us for himself, for heaven, but also for his purpose right here on the earth, and he's made us into something. He's making you, church. He's making us kings and priests to God. And here's what it says, verse seven, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. You know, just in, in kind of, in, in life, I'll run into people that say, hey, I saw you at an event or I saw you at, at the store and, uh, and, and I missed them. And, you know, it's not going to be like that when Jesus arrives. Uh, it's not going to be as if when well, he showed up and we didn't know it. Come on, church, every eye is going to see him. Every eye will see him. It says, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth, all the nations of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha, he says. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, this is repeated, I think, something like four times in the book of Revelation. It's a declaration of who Jesus is. He's the Alpha. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning. He's the first. He's the end. He's the last. And, you know, a few years ago, I, was, I, I hope this isn't a spoiler for anybody who uh, hasn't seen Avengers Infinity War. 
I don't know if it's still a spoiler, if it's like six years old now. Uh, but a few years ago, I was going to the movies, and I love to see movies, I, I, and, and I was lining up. I, it was, of course, the biggest movie of the year. Uh, and I had you know, a lot of my friends who were going to go see it with me are, are notoriously late. I'm kind of one of those people who likes to arrive early to stuff. Who wish you could have been early today? You know, okay, you know, I, I, I've, I, and, and so, um, don't point fingers. And, and I like to arrive early, so I got there to line up first. I wanted to be the first one in the theater, first one to get my seat, first one before the crowd, and I knew most of my friends wouldn't be there early, so I, I got there early, and I got in line, and, and I thought I was first, but I, I, I realized as the theater, the showing before me, uh, let out. Uh, that I wasn't first, and as they left the theater, people are walking out saying things like, everybody dies. And I started trying to cover my ears, you know. They're saying, oh, can you believe that happened and this happened? And Sorry if I just spoiled them. Okay. And, and, and people are coming out of the theater describing the ending, and I haven't even seen it yet. Do you know Jesus is the first? He's the first before we ever show up. Before sin ever arrived on the scene, before humanity fell, God says in his word of Jesus that, that he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus provided the plan of redemption before we ever had a need of a savior. He was coming to be our redemption. He was coming to be our rescue. Come on, that's good news, church. There's never a situation where God's outwitted, outsmarted. There's never a moment where God sees a problem and doesn't already have an answer. He has the cure before the illness. He has the, the solution before the problem. He is the, he's the answer. And we look at Jesus, oftentimes our, our view of the world is shaped more by anything else by how we view God. If we have a low view of God, we'll allow fear and shame to rule our lives. We'll see life through the lens of our own pride or our own independence of God, or we'll, we'll, make, we'll choose our own way, even if it's destructive, and yet, he's the answer. I've got, uh, if you would participate with me for a moment, I'm just going to give you this. Uh, I got this from my pastor years ago. If you would just hold up your hand for a moment. Hold up your hand. Uh, some of you are like, I can't. I got chocolate all over it. <laughs> hold up your hand. Jesus is the Savior. If I gave you, I'm going to give you five things. He's the Savior. He's the healer. Come on, come on, some of you are like, I'm not participating. He, he's, the, he's the healer. He's the deliverer. He's the one who sets us free. He's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. That's the one who empowers us and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And five, he's the soon coming king. Some of you stopped at three. Don't ever stop at three in your theology. Get everything that Jesus is. And if you just got those five things, you've got enough to be dangerous to the enemy. You've got enough to see the world turned upside down. You've got enough to see redemption, not, not just in your own life, but to see the good news of Jesus transform your family. And that's just a starting point. Jesus is so much, so much more than what we've known. But I want you to catch this because everything in my life that God does in and through me is a result first of who he is. I am saved because I have a savior. I am healed because I have a healer. I am, I am set free because it's who he is. He's a deliverer. It's, it's what God does. It's who he is. And God is always at work, even when we don't recognize it. 
Habakkuk uh, is a small book in the Old Testament, prophetic book, uh, small in size, not in importance, but it's a, it's a message to Israel during a low point spiritually in their nation. And God, speaking to the uh, prophet Habakkuk, here's what he says, Habakkuk 1.5 in uh, New Living Translation, the Lord replied, as, as Habakkuk's talking about the current condition of the nation, and, and he says, the Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day something you wouldn't believe even if it was told to you. (laughs) He says, I'm letting you know I'm at work and I'm gonna do something that you have no grid for, you have no point of reference for. You can't look at your history only and evaluate what's going on. I'm doing something different, something new, so different that if it was told to you, you wouldn't think it's true. I wonder if we're in the time where God could be doing something unlike anything we've ever seen. What, 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 if, what if we don't have problems, we have opportunities? What if we just don't have needs, we have opportunities for a miracle? What if in the greatest darkness in the world around us that this is the greatest opportunity for the church to be light like never before? It's a great story in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, we'll have it on the screen. Um, but let me summarize the first part of it. Uh, Israel's at war. Their war with the Syrians, and uh, they would have this war for generations. But the Syrians in this moment have been uh, gathering their armies, and they've been attacking Israel. They've been uh, raiding them and taking their cities and doing all this activity to try to overcome the Israelites. And, and yet God is like 10 steps ahead of everything the enemy's trying to do. Because the Syrians are trying to overcome the Israelites, there's a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha, every time the enemy plots and plans in secret, the Syrian king with his generals are plotting and scheming of how they're going to overcome, how they're going to destroy the Israelites and take their cities and take their land. Here's what happens. God tells Elisha. God God reveals what's hidden in secret. And he reveals what's in secret for the purpose of protecting his people. Do you know there's something special and powerful about a Holy Ghost-filled mama? There, there is. I, I, I remember my pastor years ago talking about how him and his wife, when they're, they're I, I'm getting into teenager territory myself, so be praying for me. Um, they had uh, their, their younger son, they had four kids. Their younger son was, uh, had, had told them he would be at a certain place with a certain friend, but he wasn't. And I think he was in middle school, but uh, middle school, early high school. And, and he, he told his parents where he was going to be and what he was going to be doing. And, and he wasn't telling the truth. And, uh, and, and they, they sent him to his friends, uh, what they thought was going to his friend's house. And, and, but they're, they're people of prayer. They're people filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and they, they, uh, they just got this thought, random thought, happened to be a God thought. Let's go to a movie. think, why would that be a God thought? Because they showed up to the movie, and they just happened to be in the same theater where their son had showed up with his girlfriend. (laughs) Do you know I found this over the years? I've seen stuff come to light, even even things that, you know, people have agendas and plans and all this stuff, and, and I found over the years that things that people tried to keep hidden just can't stay hidden. And you may be wondering, well, why did I find out this about this situation? It hurts to know that. It would hurt worse to not know. And sometimes God reveals so that he's protecting you. 
So, so let's be a people that are discerning and recognizing, being led by the Holy Spirit in every area of life. He wants to help you with your family. He wants to help you with your kids. He wants to help you in your job, in your business. God, God can give you wisdom. If you don't feel peace about that partnership, don't follow it. We make decisions out of pressure instead of being led by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important, church, in this day and hour, we need, the Holy Spirit's not just for church stuff. It's not so preachers can preach good. It's so that we can take the next step. We need God's word to be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We need the direction of the Holy Spirit to lead us every single day. More than ever before, we can't follow our own understanding. So here's what's happening. So the Syrians are plotting and everything the enemy tries to do, God is 10 steps ahead. And can I just remind you, he's 10 steps ahead of what the enemy's trying to do in your life too. And so he finds out the Syrian king gets mad because he keeps getting outwitted. And he says, one of you guys, he looks at his own servants, his own generals. He says, one of you guys is a spy. Which one is it? And they say, no, no, you don't understand. There's a prophet in Israel. There's a man who hears from God. One person, one man or woman of God is more dangerous to the enemy than a thousand sermons. One person that can hear from God for their family. One person that can follow the voice of God over what the culture is telling you to do. But you stand in what his purpose is. And, and Elisha hears from the Lord and exposes every move the enemy's trying to make. And so the Syrian king gets so mad, he gathers the biggest army he can and throws it at Elisha. He sends an army to kill one man. You know, I've found over the years that sometimes... The harder the enemy's fighting me, the more it lets me know that God's got something up his sleeve. Maybe the enemy's more terrified of you getting a hold of God. And so he's, he's doing like this king. He's throwing everything he's got at you. He's throwing every thought of anxiety, every thought of shame, every thought of fear to overwhelm and discourage you, to get you to quit because he knows how dangerous you are. If you just got a hold of the truth, if you just got a hold of God, what could happen through your life, through your family, through your marriage? So he fights you, he overplays his hand. And so he sends an army. (laughs) Verse 15, they surround the city where Elisha is. And Elisha's servant gets up, opens the window, and says he looks out and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant says, alas, my master, what are we going to do? You ever said that? God, what am I going to do? I look at what's going on with my kids. What am I going to do? I see what's happening in my marriage. What am I going to do? We're looking at gas prices. What are we going to do? And, and he's saying, what shall we do? And Elisha says, do not fear. Do you know, <laughs> it's still the same answer. Don't, don't, don't fear. He says, don't be afraid. And then he tells him something that almost doesn't make sense at first. You can see it behind me. He says, there's more with us than against us. And, and, and I'm sure Elisha's servant's thinking, okay, Elisha has hit his head. He opens the window. He looks, he counts 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 1,000. Um, Elisha, I don't think you understand. Like, there's you and me and, and some people in the city, but there's, there's an army around us. There's no hope. There's no chance. And Elisha lets him know, you need to look again. 
I've got two points for you today. They're real simple. First one is this. If you're taking notes, look again. Look again. He says, God, open the eyes of my servant. Elisha prays for him. Open the eyes of my servant. If our media team could pull that up. Look at this. Open the eyes of my servant, and God answers that prayer, and he saw. See, see what his servant had a problem with was not the enemy's strength, but he didn't see what he needed to see. He's looking at the size of the enemy. He's looking at the strength of what the enemy's trying to do instead of saying there's still more with you than against you. And when, his, when God opens his eyes, he looks out and he sees the angels surrounding the Syrian army, chariots of fire, horsemen. God is surrounded with the enemy's army and they're outnumbered two to one. And we think that somehow the angels have gone on vacation. Like, well, now in postmodern society, God doesn't have that available at his disposal. And I'm st- I'm ag- I, what I'm up against is bigger than what my God has. No, no, that's not the reality. We need to look again. We think it's hopeless. We think our marriage is over. We think our faith is, is shipwrecked. We think that, that our kids will never come back home. We'll never break free from addiction. We'll never. But you've got more fighting for you than against you. You just need to see it. Look again. That's my prayer this morning is that God would open our eyes like he did this man. And and he saw what he needed to see. Can I just tell you, you've got Jesus with you. And if you didn't have a thousand angels, but you just had Jesus, that's still enough. If you just have Jesus, you've got more than enough. He's got the name that's above every name. He's still the name that at his name, Every, every addiction has to bow its knee. Every diagnosis that's terminal, that is hopeless. My, I shared Friday night, a family member of mine who had stage, diagnosed with stage four cancer, given months to live, was totally healed of cancer, cancer-free, lived 18 more years, got to so So, so, so that's, that's a reason to celebrate, but... We, 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 somehow we get this idea that like God's gone on a long vacation and he doesn't do stuff. But our focus isn't on what God can do and what God said in his promise. We're looking at the problem in front of us. Now, faith is never pretending like there's not a problem. It's not saying that there's not an army outside, but it's going, I've got the enemy that's in front of me is not greater than the God who's above him, the God who's with me, the God who's for me, whose promise never fails. He had to open his eyes. He had to see what God wanted him to see. If we go back to Revelation, he says he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning, he's the end. And, and, and if, if we need to look again, I, I believe we need to see God. We need to see what he, his word says about him because he's the beginning. And maybe today what you need is a new beginning. He's the beginning. He's the alpha. He's the start. He's the first All things, it says of Jesus in Colossians, all things were made through him, by him, and for him. He's the starting point. The the word for first in the Greek language for all the the, the Bible study nerds in here like myself uh, literally means this. It means he's the archetype. He's He's the cornerstone. He's the one that everything else after has to be shaped and modeled by. Why that matters is because if I want to see my marriage become all that it's called to be and see my life become all that it's called to be, I have to start with Jesus as the cornerstone. 
He has to be my alpha. He has to be my starting point. He has to be the beginning. He's the start. He's the start of my hope. He's the start of my peace. He's the start of my salvation. He's the start of my transformation. How many times do we look at our life and we become overwhelmed by all the things we feel like, I've got to change. I need to see this happen. I need to see this change and be different. And yet, he's the starting point. When we start with Jesus, nothing's impossible. We sang about it today, church. He's the alpha. And he's the one who gives us a new beginning. He's the beginning of our purpose in our life. He's the reason. He's the starting place. He's also the end. He's the last. And and while it's true, and I believe in the context, what we have to capture is that he's at the end of the story of human history long after celebrities and politicians and kings have long since been forgotten. Jesus will still stand. He's at the end. He is the end. But can I just tell you, he's also the end of your shame. He's the end of your fear. He's the end of your hopelessness. He's the end of what's bound you and held you and kept you from moving forward in life. Philippians 1.6, Paul the Apostle, whose life was changed by Jesus, said this, I'm confident, he's speaking to a group of Christians called the Philippians. He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. I mean, we've all met people, we've done it ourselves, we've started out with good intentions and not finished. But he says, I know that what God began in you, he's going to complete. That's good news, church. What he started, he's gonna finish. Do you know what that also reminds me is God is under no obligation to finish what I've started. (laughs) But he will finish what he starts. There's nothing that God started in my life that he will not finish. And so I want to find out, God, what are you doing in my life, and how can I get on board with it? How can I say yes to it? How can I say amen to it? And he will finish what he began in me. The word to end in Greek is literally the inherent, it's a Greek word telos, which means the inherent destiny of a thing. In other words, he's what everything, all of human history is moving towards. It's This word is used of, if you want to think of it like this, it's like an acorn. The end of an acorn is an oak tree. The end of an acorn is its full and ultimate destined purpose, and Jesus is doing something in your life and mine that has a full-ended, intended purpose. We sing about how God's good, and sometimes we get discouraged because we look at our present situation and we think it's not good right now. But he's the author, he's also the finisher. He's the start, he's the end. And when he brings about his end, it's always good. So, so don't, don't quit in the middle. Don't throw in the towel in the middle. Ezekiel 37, I want to read this part to you. And then I'll give you the second and final point. Ezekiel 37. This is a prophetic vision, and uh, it's another prophet of Israel, Ezekiel, and he's, he's at a time of, of national spiritual uh, crisis. They're experiencing the result of a generation turning away from God, and, 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 and many of them are being taken away captive to Babylon, to another nation, to another place. 
And, and in the midst of that, God reminds Ezekiel, and by extension, all those who would read his message, that God, in the midst of that season, would bring about his redemptive purpose. God would one day restore his house in Israel. God would one day bring them back from captivity. And, and God was reminding them that their hope wasn't gone because it's never over when Jesus is in the equation. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's just sometimes I feel like it's over until I just get, God just steps in. And one word, one promise, one nudge from the Holy Spirit, one, one, one word from Scripture, one just, it, it reignites something on the inside. I, had, I remember when I was nine or ten years old, I, I got sucker punched in the gut probably for the, the first time in my life because I was the only child, so I had nobody to sucker punch me in the gut. My kids, this happens all the time. Anyway, but, but no, I'm kidding. But I remember I was like nine or ten. I'm playing basketball with some friends in my neighborhood, and, and, and I had this kid that I didn't really get along with well, and uh, let's just be honest, I was a much better basketball player than he was. And because he knew that, he decided that the only way he could beat me was to, to, to get a cheap shot into my gut while I had the ball up in my hands and I was getting ready to, to, to shoot it. And, and, and he, he hit me right in the stomach as hard as he could. And, and of course, I'm nine or 10, so I'm not wanting to, to do anything embarrassing. But at the moment that I got hit, it didn't just hurt. And really, it wasn't even about how it hurt. It was about the fact that the breath got knocked out of me. Knocked the wind out of me completely. I, I, I kind of fell down to my knees, and it was like, it took me a minute because I wanted to act tough, but I couldn't breathe. <laughs> and you know what? That's what happens when life hits us and we're not expecting it. We want to react, we want to be strong, we want to move forward, but we can't breathe. That's where Israel is. And, and, and here's the vision that God gives Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me, brought me out in the spirit, set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of dry bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. God's showing him the, the valley, and here's what it says. These bones that have filled the valley in this vision, this prophetic spiritual vision, he sees that they're very dry. That's their condition. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Can, it, can this situation change? Can they come back to life? And, and Ezekiel, as he's talking to God, God asks him a question, not because God needs information, but because he's provoking a response in Ezekiel. And he says, God, I don't know. You know. And again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. What does it mean to prophesy? It means to speak what God says. It's very simple. He says, prophesy to these bones. You're, you're going to say something to them. That sounds weird. Why? Because watch what he says. You're going to say to them, O dry bones, hear what the word of the Lord is. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh on you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I did, as I prophesied, there was a noise. Suddenly a rattling. Bones came together, bone to bone. What's happening? As God's word's being declared, something's stirring. Every time God's word enters our life, something stirs. 
Sometimes it's the enemy throwing a fit because he knows he's about to lose something in your life. Sometimes a stirring is God's awakening new dream and new potential and new hope on the inside of you. Where once you felt hopeless, now you feel something on the and you don't you can't quite figure it out yet. You don't see the full picture, but something's stirring. There was a noise. Verse 8, indeed, as I looked, the sinews in the flesh came upon them. The skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So they, they, they gather, the form comes together. The bones have flesh now, but there's no breath in them. Jason, if you want to come up. Verse 9, also it said to me, prophesy now to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What started out as a valley of disconnected, broken, scattered, dry, very dry, hopeless, dry bones, now was an army. What changed was somebody said the word of the Lord. Somebody declared what God said. And that's why we need to get God's word in our life to recognize what God wants to do. But then we've got to open our mouth and pray God's word. Stand on God's word. Believe God's word. Fight with God's word. And as he prophesies what God has said over a valley of dry bones in this vision, what does it all mean? It, it's about something. It's about what God wanted to do in his people. And here's what it says in the last verse, verse 11. He said to me, son of man, these bones, these dry bones that look hopeless, that look scattered, this is the house of Israel. This is my people. They indeed say, our bones are very dry. Our hope is lost. And we ourselves are cut off. What are they saying? Well, they're saying what a lot of us say. It looks hopeless. Things will never change. Man, it's bad out there. Can God use me ever again? Have I fallen too far? And, and, and that's, they're talking about their condition. They're describing how bad things are, but they needed to hear what God had to say. Because one word from God can change everything. I, I came across this in my study for this message and I thought this was so interesting. When you put alpha with omega together to form one word, in the Greek it forms a word, I breathe. When we have a new beginning with Jesus, when he becomes our intended end, it breathes new life back into us. That's, that's the second point for anybody who's taking notes in case I forget it. <laughs> we need to breathe again. We need to look again. We need to see who our God is. Regardless of our situation, there's still more with us than against us. You have Jesus. But we also need to know that God wants to fill your life. He wants to strengthen your life. He wants to breathe new life back into your marriage, back into your family, 
You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I need God. I need Jesus to fill my life, to give me the grace to do and be all that he's called and created me to be. He's the intended end. So let's let God breathe new life into us, into our purpose, into our business, into into our ministries, and whatever God has placed in your life that you feel is hopeless, God wants to breathe something new into it. Make sure God began it, but what he's began, he will finish. What God has begun, he will finish in your life. I wanna pray with you, if you would stand to your feet. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.